Hello, and welcome to Wide Open Spaces with Elise, a podcast. I'm Elise. This is episode number 34, Never Forgotten. It is greatly appreciated and with much love that you join me today to listen to what I have to share with the world. This is a podcast that deals with mental health issues, everyday issues, things that we go through in daily life that kind of stump us, that make us think or make us try to figure out what's going on inside our brains and our hearts and our feelings. This podcast evolved out of COVID, trying to find myself and to express all the many feelings and thoughts that I was having during a global pandemic. Now, my experience is working in mental health as a recreational therapist and a motivational speaker, but I also do have some journalism background. I graduated from the University of Florida with a Bachelor's of Science in Recreational Therapy. I've worked many years in psychiatric facilities and outpatient facilities, and I decided Through a podcast, I could share my thoughts through journalistic techniques on how we can all help each other through one of the most difficult times in American and world history. I'd like to dedicate this episode to my dad, Robert Rosenfeld. I haven't podcasted for two weeks because my dad passed away on February 6th. I won't go into much more detail because I probably won't get through it if I do. But I will share my grief in the future and how I've coped and trying to cope and work through. And hopefully in the future that'll be able to help some of you out there. Now to tie into that, if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you know that I'm from Parkland, Florida. Now, some of you might say, where is Parkland, Florida? Well, it's in South Florida in Broward County. Now, I'm going to leave you with that thought and see if that provokes any memories or ideas of what I'm talking about. Now, I'd like to share a story with you. I would like you to really get into the mind of the speaker and try to visualize how this person got through this particular moment and time in their life. It was Valentine's Day 2018 and I woke up to wake my daughter up for school. She was in middle school and she didn't want to go to school that day. And I was very angry at her because She's not a lover of school or wasn't at that time. And it was just another day where she said she didn't want to go to school. And we fought a little bit. And of course, I gave in. And I went back to sleep because it was early. And I woke up. And because she was sick or didn't feel good, I wasn't going to leave her. So I was home. And I was working on my computer. And I was sitting And I got a couple 
a phone call and a text, but I was working. So I just, you know, declined the phone call, was from a friend of mine, and just ignoring the text. And like usual while I'm working, I have the news on. It happened to be CNN that day. And I see this vision on the screen of people running out of a building. I'm not really processing it. It's kind of there in the back of my mind. I'm seeing it in my peripheral vision, but I'm working on my computer. Then on my phone pops up when they have something that's going on, a school shooting. Something in my heart dropped. I put the voice on the TV. I'm staring and I'm really not listening to the newscasters. And I'm looking and I'm realizing that that was the high school my daughter graduated from. That's the high school that my friend's children are currently at. That's the high school that's on the same campus that my daughter goes to middle school at. And I'm still not processing, but I'm connecting the alert that I got on my phone with what I'm now seeing of children running with their arms up in the air out of a building, out of the high school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, that my daughter graduated from. And I'm really not understanding still because the brain protects you. And I'm really not understanding what I'm seeing. Part of my brain I remember, and I'll be honest, there's a lot of blanks in my memory. But part of what I remember is thinking, oh, this is probably one of those, you know, they call in a bomb scare or somebody says that there's a shooter on campus, but there's not. And that's kind of where I was at that moment. And then I remember that the friend had called me. So I call her back and she's running. And she doesn't know at this point that my daughter didn't go to school. We have daughters the same age and she lived right by the middle school. And I can hear that she's running and she's screaming to me that tell my daughter when she gets out of the building to run to my friend's house. And then she said she had to go because she also had a child who was in the high school and an older daughter, same age as my older daughter, who graduated from there. So she just yelled to me, tell your daughter to run to my house. Well, now I'm starting to kind of, I don't even know you, if you've ever been in shock before. It's, it's there, but you're really just not absorbing it. And I'm staring at the TV. Then my daughter, who's home, is saying, what's going on? My friends are texting me from school. They're scared. They're hiding under their desks because they were told the shooter was near their school. They're frightened. So though my daughter wasn't there, she's trying to let them know what she's hearing on the TV. And she's trying to console them and make them feel like they're going to be okay. Then my husband calls me, did you hear? And I am now, it hits me. And I am crying. I'm not believing what I hear. 
My husband says, do you want me home? I say, yes. I start to become scared because I really don't know what's going on. It's kind of like when 9-11 happened. We really didn't know where they going to be flying planes into other parts of the United States. You got you started to feel scared and unsafe. And I had that same feeling come back to me that I felt in 9-11. Because I do not live far from the school. What is going on? You begin to hear all these helicopters everywhere. The sound of helicopters to this day, that is my PTSD from this. The minute I hear a helicopter, I'm back in that day. I'm back in those moments. I don't know how to explain it any other way, how a sound takes me back to three years ago, because that's how long it's been since the Parkland shooting. I continue to cry. I begin to text my friends frantically, who I know they have children in school. One friend is an elementary school teacher. She's hiding in the closet because they're on lockdown because of this with another teacher. She's texting her daughter. Her daughter luckily was out of the building and she had to tell her daughter, run for your life. I have goosebumps thinking about that. Having to tell your child, run for your life. It's like something out of a bad movie, but it wasn't a movie. It was becoming reality. It was becoming real. Another friend's daughter was hiding in the school. She happened to be one of the very last groups that was escorted out by the SWAT team once the school was safe. So that entire time, this friend knew her daughter was still in that school, not knowing if people had lost their lives. We really didn't know what was going on at that point. Another friend sends a picture where she's able to meet up with her daughter and the look on her daughter's face it's implanted in my brain. It's as a therapist, I've seen that face before in patience, but to see it on the face of someone that I know and I care for took it to another level. And then I have a friend, probably not saying more tra traumatic, but probably the most traumatic out of all the people that I do know personally, other than someone losing the life of a loved one. Their child was in the classroom, one of the classrooms that was hit the hardest. She was texting her mom as the shooter was shooting bullets into her classroom, as two classmates lay dead on the floor. She hid behind a file cabinet, texting her mother, not knowing if she was going to survive. Now, as the day went on, my husband tried to get to me. The, the whole town was blocked off. I just cried. I began to talk to friends as their kids were getting home safely. And this is very choppy for me the memories. 
we slowly, as a town, started to hear of people who weren't able to get in touch with their children. I can't even tell you. I, I wish I didn't have to tell you how heartbreaking that was. Knowing that if you, ha and you know that they've been gone to all the hospitals and their child isn't there and they can't get a hold of their child and they've now told the parents who can't find their children to go to the local hotel in our town and wait there for news. Waiting there for the worst news that any parent or loved one ever would have to hear, that their child was murdered while they were innocently in high school on Valentine's Day. Now, I could go on and on about the stories, and really it's not about me, and it's not about my friends whose children are safe, though they do have lingering mental health issues. We had two suicides in our town after that. We have many, many children who are just still frightened and still scared. Many of them have gone off to college. My daughter who graduated from there, it's very hard for her to comprehend. She knew the coach who passed away there. It's such a trickle-down effect when a tragedy like this happens. They're becoming more and more, but you still can remember the main ones. Parkland, Columbine, Sandy Hook, the religious facilities, the temples, the churches, where mass shootings have happened. And it puts you in a club that nobody wants to be a part of. But you were put there by no choice of your own. Now, where should the focus be? It should be on the people and the families who lost their loved ones. Because even though those of us on the peripheral or those children that were there that day, were still here. These families must live without their loved ones. As the days went on in Parkland, you'd hear more confirmation of who passed away, of who was in the hospital fighting for their lives. We had a vigil that it's like every other vigil you see on TV after something of such tragic proportions happens. And to feel this grief on such a massive scale is still with me today. It's still with everybody who was at that vigil. There's no way something like that leaves you. And there were memorials and there were all kinds of things and obviously funerals and they built a memorial at the high school, a garden and all those things are beautiful, but they don't bring people back. Now, I didn't tell you this memory of mine to discuss Second Amendment rights. 
That's a personal decision and an opinion. I have my feelings, obviously, because inadvertently I've been affected by gun violence. But the Second Amendment right is everybody's right to carry. Respectfully. And safely. And honorably. What do you do when your whole world changes forever? How do you cope and how do you move on? How do you honor the lives that were taken and the families who will be grieving for the rest of their lives? These are questions that go through my head all the time. I'm friends with them on Facebook. We have different things that go on here. And I always think back to those families. And I see those families in the grocery store in the cookie store, around town, trying to live their lives the best they can. Those of you who have lost loved ones tragically or a tragic event where you live will be able to connect with what I'm talking about. It's a club that nobody wants to be a part of, believe me. Sometimes we are focused to deal with the disillusionment of life and tragedy. We have no choice. We're just put there to deal with. Now, obviously I'm doing this podcast and I will do it every year that I am doing a podcast to honor those 17 lives in Parkland on February 14, 2018 who are no longer here. But there's also a mental health aspect to it. It ties into my core values of how do you survive a tragedy with COVID? We've all lost loved ones or know someone who has lost their life to COVID. A pandemic, it's tragic. People are on food lines because they've lost their jobs because of COVID. People are homeless because they've lost their lives because of COVID. Loss is such a powerful, debilitating feeling, emotion, state of mind. I would like to now share a little bit about each beautiful soul that lost their lives on that horrific day in Parkland. It's my duty as a mental health professional, as a resident of Parkland, and as someone who knows some of the families who lost their loved ones, to say their loved ones' names, to let you hear a little bit about them so that their spirit and their beauty of their lives remains with us. May we honor their names and lives. Alyssa Alhadef was a competitive soccer player and honing her debate skills. Martin Duque was in JROTC and was deeply loved by his siblings. Scott Beagle was a teacher, cross-country coach, a counselor, loved his brother, and was about to be married. Nicholas Dwaret was on his way to swimming greatness at the University of Indianapolis. <laughs> 
Aaron Feist took care of everyone. He knew pretty much every student on campus and was many kids' go-to guy. Jamie Guttenberg didn't just dance her way through life. She was instrumental in helping students with differing abilities. Chris Hickson was so much more than a coach. He was universally loved by staff and students. Luke Hoyer was the heart and soul of his family and loved playing basketball. Kara Loughran loved Irish dancing, the beach, and her cousins. Gina Montalto was a member of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Color Guard and volunteered to help others. Joaquin Guac Oliver loved basketball with passion beyond his years. He lit up a room just by entering it. Elena Petty was a member of the JROTC and was selfless in volunteering with her church. Meadow Pollock was her family's princess. She was ready to begin her studies at Lynn University. Helena Ramsey loved animals and was smart, academically oriented, and driven to succeed. Alex Schachter played trombone in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Bands and very close to his dad and brother. Carmen Shentrup was a National Merit Scholarship semifinalist. Peter Wang was in the JROTC looking forward to the day when he would be able to protect our country and believed in being friends with everyone. Beautiful names, beautiful souls, beautiful faces, beautiful people just like you and I. They were in the wrong place, on the wrong day, at the wrong time. After time went by, I traveled. I expected that wherever a person asked me where I was from, they would say, oh, isn't that where? But it didn't happen. When I traveled locally in the beginning, if someone said, like I went to Naples, Florida, where are you from? Parkland, Florida. Isn't that where the shooting was? Yes. But as I started to travel more across the United States and even internationally, I thought, well, everybody knows Columbine. Everybody's heard of Sandy Hook. Well, now Parkland falls into that. But it didn't happen. When I would say Parkland, Florida, they didn't know what I was talking about. And I just would move on. But I realized over time that the majority of people don't really focus on these things. They hear it in the news. Maybe they shed a tear or two and they move on with their lives. I've done the same thing myself. I get it. It was my world, but it wasn't recognizable to others. I know that a lot of Parkland residents have come to this realization. It's hard to accept because we live it every day. And so it's on our mind every day. And I guess there's somewhere inside of us that we, <coughs> that we expect others to remember. So we feel as Parkland residents that it's our job and our responsibility to not let people forget Hence this podcast today. 
Here's some ways that Parkland residents have been proactive. Um, we've had parks dedicated to those that have been taken. We've had memorials at cemeteries. There's a memorial at the high school. We wear our Marjorie Stoneman Douglas or hashtag MSD strong shirts and hats and we have car magnets. Every year at the memorial, we do a day of service. The one that we did most recently, obviously we couldn't do it this year, but we went into this big gymnasium and we bagged food for the starving in Haiti. And to have your whole town in this big room doing service in honor of those lives lost, well, I think you can see the meaning in that. We have charity organizations that support other communities that suffer from gun violence. We have different scholarships that have been created. We have a place called Eagles Haven, funded by the Jewish Foundation, that has been there practically since the first month or two after the shooting. And it's a place for teenagers and families to go not just people who have survived the shooting or people who lived in the town who survived the shooting, but we all know even now with COVID and kids doing virtual school, there's a lot of mental health issues out. So Eagles Haven has art therapy and music therapy and yoga and meditation. They have services for adults and the teens to help them deal with pain from any kind of tragedy. You see, it wasn't just that day and the few weeks after the massacre. It has ripple effects. Kids are afraid to leave their homes, still to this day, three years later. PTSD, the kids can't stand the sound of loud noises and fireworks. We put out warnings every year before the 4th of July and New Year's about please respect those who are suffering from PTSD because of the sound of fireworks. We have insecurities. We've had attempted suicides. We had two suicides, which I mentioned before. Self-mutilation, such as cutting, self-isolation, and deep depression. Some kids that were seniors couldn't even leave to go to colleges that they worked so hard to get accepted to because of that ripple effect, how that day instilled fear and insecurity, that they needed to be home with their loved ones to feel secure. There's so much survivor's guilt. Many of the kids have gone to therapy, but that's something that stays with you forever. The kids who sat in that Holocaust class that day with their friends, classmates lying bleeding on the floor, with them hearing the sounds of machine guns, that never goes away. Teachers can't be teachers anymore there. They retired or they've moved because of the trauma. They just had to move away. They had the guilt that they couldn't protect their students. Nobody could have protected them. You had a boy who meticulously went through a building and gunned people down. 
but yet these teachers have this guilt that they couldn't protect their students. For the families whose loved ones never came home that fateful Valentine's Day, this is how they go on. For Alex Schachter, his father and family have created a charity called Safe School for Alex. For Jamie Guttenberg, her family created a charity called Orange Ribbons for Jamie. And you may see some celebrities wear orange ribbons. Those orange ribbons are for Jamie. Change the Ref was for Joaquin Oliver. His parents traveled the country telling Joaquin's story. They've created a life-size sculpture of Joaquin that they bring to each of these events to share their son's story. MakeOurSchoolSafe.org was created by her family, Alyssa Alhadef. There also was a playground named after Alyssa. Her mom now is currently Lori Alhadef is on the Broward County School Board. There is Meadows Playground for Meadow Pollock. There's the Nicholas Dorette Memorial Fund. And there is Fred Guttenberg. If you are aware of Parkland, you may have seen Fred on many of the different news channels. And Fred wrote a book called Find the Helpers by Fred Guttenberg. What 9-11 and Parkland taught me about recovery, purpose, and hope. You see, Fred lost his daughter that day, Jamie. But Fred's brother also was a frontline worker who went in to save people on 9-11. And he's one of those people who subsequently got cancer due to all of the fumes and chemicals that were released dirt from the burning building, and he passed away. So Fred writes about the correlation between 9-11 and the loss of his brother due to after effects of 9-11 and his daughter from a mass shooting at high school. I'd like to read to you from Fred's book. He starts out with, and it's called Find the Helpers. And on the very first part of his introduction, there's a beautiful picture of him and his daughter, Jamie, drinking from this delicious-looking Sunday together. It's a happy picture. It's a fun picture of a dad and daughter. It's now just a memory. But here's uh, under that picture on Fred's first page of his introduction. On a day of love, it's called. My mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any catastrophe in the movies or on the air, always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. That's why I think if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams and medical people, anyone coming into a place of tragedy, to be sure that they include that because if you look for the helpers, you'll know there's hope. This was Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers. The interview was done on Television Academy in 1999. 
There's helpers everywhere and you can tie this into today. For Fred, this tied into 9-11 and the loss of his brother and his daughter. But we have this type of loss today with COVID. I'd like to read a uh, little part from Fred's book. My life goes on. But when we lost Jamie, I wasn't so sure it would. The day after the shooting, there was a vigil in Parkland, broadcast live on national TV. Jen decided to stay home, but I went with Jesse, other family members and friends. The mayor of Parkland asked me to speak in front of the audience. I didn't know what to say, but when I took the microphone, I spoke from the heart. I told the world how I had rushed my kids out the door that morning because they were running late and how I was troubled, not knowing if I told my daughter I loved her. I don't know what I do next, I said. Now I do. My personal mission is to break the gun lobby. My goal for the rest of my life is to help elect every government official who supports gun safety laws and to campaign against anyone who doesn't. But I have a separate mission for this book. To fight, you have to have hope. And this book is about nourishing the soul so that you have the stamina to fight. This book is meant to be a beacon of love and hope and compassion. Combined with my advocacy, my hope is that it will finally shift in an unmovable object. That's just an excerpt from Fred's book, Find the Helpers. But I wanted to give you a little insight into how someone takes the most horrific thing in life and tries to find a way to turn that into something positive by making change in the world in honor of his daughter's name. Nothing will ever bring his child back, but it empowers him to help others so that they never have to experience this type of tragedy in their lives. Now, three years later, you can talk to a lot of us about how this changed our lives and the path that we've all taken. And every story will be different. And every person out there who's listening to me, who didn't have this type of tragedy in their life, but some other type of tragedy where they've lost their loved ones or feel like you've lost yourself, or you have grief or survivor's guilt. So for me, while I'm doing it right now, I'm educating you, my listener, on the after effects of such a trauma, on the mental health issues trauma can cause. I am keeping the names and the lives of those who are taken by publishing this podcast for the world to hear. I am letting you know that if you know someone who is expressing to you or through social media that they want to hurt people, please report it to the authorities. Don't just let it go by and say, oh, they didn't mean it. You see, the system failed our high school that day. A sick, angry, disturbed individuals' behavior and threats were not taken seriously. 
if just like they said in 9-11, if you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. You could save a life or lives. Columbine was the same. Sandy Hook was the same. There were all warning signs that were overlooked. This needs to stop. We all have a responsibility. If you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. There are signs, but people just look away and don't realize the gravity of the situation. It's all of our responsibilities. When you report something like that, you might just save lives. Mental illness is very unpredictable, and it's hard to cope with, but there are always signs. If you have a child, if you have a spouse, if you have a family member, if you have a friend who are exhibiting violent talk, talking about doing violent things, thinking you're, they're just joking with their Facebook or their Instagram or their Snapchat post, take it seriously. If it turns out to not that you were overreacting, okay, great. But what if you're not overreacting? Because that's what happened in Columbine and Sandy Hook and Parkland. If you know someone, a friend or a family member who seems out of touch with reality, delusional, manic, extremely isolating, depressed or hopeless, please step in and give them the help they need. It doesn't mean that they're going to become a mass shooter. That's not what I'm insinuating. What I'm insinuating is when you see these signs, mental health gives you signs. To the people around you, they see, feel, hear the signs. Don't ignore the signs of your loved ones. If that means calling the police, call the police. An ambulance, call an ambulance. Or even admitting them into a psychiatric facility for 40 hour, 48 hours of observation. They may be mad, you may be worried they're mad, but you could be saving their life or someone else's life. Mental health doesn't mean that you are a potential murderer. This is an extreme case of a boy who became a young adult that had cues throughout from middle school through high school that were reported that fell through the cracks. I'm referring now to your loved ones who may be signing, showing signs of severe mental health issues that could lead to self-harm or harm of others or, or possible, God forbid, suicide. You need to be aware, if you know someone out there that you know has mental health issues, it's not your responsibility if they don't want to seek treatment, but if you hear things that are somewhat inappropriate or scary or frightening, you need to say something. For the families who are still grieving and the town of Parkland, we are still waiting for the killer's trial three years later. Until he has his trial and conviction, the building where the murders happened 
still stands. It's there as evidence and the trial so the jurors can see where the massacre took place. Every day that the kids go to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, that building is there. They see it and they walk past it. I drive past it weekly. It's a constant in our lives of unfinished business. The murderer needs to have his consequences handed to him. Until then, it is a constant limbo. It's unfinished and an open wound for the families. As a mental health professional, it is my duty to educate and help others with their mental health issues. As a Parkland resident whose friends lost loved ones, whose kids survived that day, the teachers and the staff that survived, the heroes, the first responders, for those that still suffer from PTSD, and for the rest of us residents whose view of the world has changed forever. It is my duty to educate and inform the world about Parkland. My podcast will bring the names of those taken and the tragedy that happened that day as a reminder to the world. Never forget. Never forgotten. May their memories always be a blessing. MSD Strong and Parkland Strong. I really do appreciate you listening to me today and giving me the opportunity to say their names. And I'm sure there are people in your lives that you could say their names. Keep them close to your hearts. Always try to help, be a helper. Like Fred Guttenberg said, find the helpers. I will post on my website his book. You can find it on Amazon. That's where I ordered it from. I will post the other charities that are in honor of the lost loved ones from Parkland. And I would like to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being dedicated to me. And thank you for letting me share a trauma that I have been through and people in my town have been through. And bringing those souls to life here on my podcast. You can find my website at wideopenspaceswithelise.com. You can find me on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or any other place that you find your podcasts. Go to my website and you can read some of my blogs. You can find out a little bit about me, Elise, I-L-I-S-E. And thank you. This is my first podcast. I took two weeks off after my dad passed away. It was hard getting started again, but I conquered, I accomplished without a tear. So go out there and explore all the wide open spaces in your world. Remember always, positive thoughts create positive energy. Ciao, my friends.